What's up guys, welcome to the Flawed Dad's Guide to Parenting, the podcast all about the average flawed dad learning to be a better parent. We're fortunate that today's interview is with Larry Hagner of the Dad Edge Podcast and Alliance. Larry is a staple in the dad podcast world as he's been recording without fail for six years and has interviewed so many notable people in that time, it'd take a whole podcast to list out. We discuss some of Larry's past regrets and how he overcame them with his kids, what he still has to work on to this day, plus how he schedules his day to maintain a work-life balance. All that, along with many other great knowledge bombs, it's an interview you don't want to miss. Stick around and listen as two flawed dads try not to screw up their kids too bad. Larry, thanks so much for coming aboard here. Really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure, man. Graham, Warren, good to, good to talk to you guys. Got a yeah. lot of booze in the background. Is it happy hour? Is yeah. it? Is it? It's always happy hour here. Yeah, right? <laughs> pretty much in, in the Miles Big Up household. It's it's pretty much always happy hour. Three daughters, man. You know, you, you got to have a drink ready. So you never I know saw. what's going to come around the corner. Yeah, it is. I saw really between you guys both, man. Five girls between the two of you guys. Yeah, yeah, there's a. We balance each other. That's why we have you aboard here because you with you had four boys. It's a pretty much even split. So we think we have now a pretty good perspective on uh, what it's like, but. Uh, yeah, just five girls. We can't really speak to boys too much, which is one of the reasons why we do want to pick your brain a little bit about understanding what goes on there. Um, and then before we get into it a little bit, uh, whether you hear some uh, road noise in the background, the, the folks that are listening, apologize. Hey, road works, things happen. Can't do anything uh, about it. We tried to get the road people to stop because we said we're doing this podcast, but for yeah. some reason they didn't listen. Yeah, they, they were, just, they, they didn't recognize the power of the flawed dad's guide to parenting <laughs> podcast. So. Right. Not listeners yet. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, that's your, your, the title of your show is right in line with, with dad life, right? I mean, it's, it's, I'll never forget, man. I had Chris Voss on the show. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but never yeah. split the difference. And yeah. he came in and my, my seven-year-old came in at the time and, and he was like, and I was like, Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. And he came walking right in and Chris, man, he just rolled with it. He's like, who's this guy? Yeah. And then they started talking. So, but like the funny thing is, is man, is the, what I've noticed in the dad space when it comes to video and when it comes to podcasting, like the more imperfect, it, I mean, it can't be a disaster, right? But if the, <laughs> the more imperfect it is and the more true to real life it is, the more we, I, I think the more guys are receptive to it, yeah. right? So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. The, the Zoom meetings that we've had uh, overall, just in general of, of life in the COVID world, uh, having kids come in every now and then, it does humanize you and it does make things a little bit more, uh, yeah, it introduces you into the real world that you're, you're raising. So with, within reason, of course, I mean, you can't just have a kid crying in the background the entire time, but. Well, we have had that. <laughs> so, you know, that, yeah, that no. is, that yeah. is something that happens. It's that or the dog barking or, or whatever it may be. Which you've had to, uh, yeah. of course, as well, since. Now I, I wanted to ask you about uh, kind of that, that line of, of questioning. I've noticed that there's, a lot more dads being open about that in their public persona and their podcasts, that sort of thing. <clears throat> Whereas traditionally you would have seen a, a persona that was very idealized, like it was very cleaned up and that sort of thing. And, and you've been really frank with yours in terms of the flaws and issues that you faced and that sort of thing. Do you think that that's a direction that overall uh, dads are going, like being open about their issues? Or is there still a lot of people holding back and, and saying, no, 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 I'm a great dad. I'm the perfect dad, that sort of thing. 
Yeah, immediately when you said that, I automatically didn't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think a lot hey, of guys- you're not alone. Like, you're not alone. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like uh, guys in general, man, it's like, uh, I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, I think from the beginning of time, like guys couldn't relate to like that perfect dude, right? Like, like I can't remember what podcast guest I had on, but it was, I think it was uh, uh, the guy from The Art of Charm, um, Jordan- oh. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember his last name. It's a brain fart. But anyway, he, he came on and he was basically talking about bringing positive energy to people, leaving rooms better off than when you came in, right? And what he talked about was approachability in people and relatability in people and authenticity and all these things, right? And so many people are so scared to show like that flawed sort of weak side. So like we kind of cover it up, right? We sort of, we, we buy these big houses and these, these cars and these boats and like we dress a certain way and all this other stuff. And it's all kind of like sort of I, for nothing, right? Because think about it. If you were to walk into a coffee shop and you saw a guy like, and he was like just an Adonis, like perfectly built, you know, like dressed perfect, had, you know, maybe his collar was flipped up, you know, threw his feet up on the, on the table as he drank his coffee, didn't have a care in the world. You'd be like, that guy's a douchebag, <laughs> right? That, that would be your first thought. Yeah. But it's like the guys who are imperfect, right? The guys who have flaws, like that's the, the, the uglier stuff is kind of what we relate to. Now, I, I definitely think there's a balance because men, I think we relate to each other in imperfection with humor. So if we can like, you know, some self-deprecating humor about what's going on in our life. Like, oh, dude, like I lost my crap on my seven-year-old because he acts like he's drunk. He doesn't wear pants at the dinner table, you know, things like that versus like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm like, hmm, I just, just bought my second Lamborghini. You know, it's like yeah. we, we don't really relate to that. And the other thing, too, is I think the other counterbalance to that is you can't be like this weeping sponge either. Right, like right. you can't be this guy who's so fluffy and like a lot of feminine energy to where it's like, oh, my God, my life is so terrible. My marriage isn't where it's supposed right. to be. Will you help? And that that doesn't I think you have to have that balance of authenticity, vulnerability, but you have to do it in such a way you can use humor with it. You can use like, hey, man, like this is just who I am. Like. Here's the good things. Here's the not so good things. So how, in your um, overall expertise, talking to all these different dads and experiences, how would you, for the people that maybe don't have that in them to begin with that, you know, like I, I am a pop collar type dude. I, I need to have things polished. I'm keeping up with the Joneses type person. You know, a lot of things for dealing with algorithm, whatever it is, you have to have it within yourself in order to really want to change. Yeah. Um, how can you how can you get someone into that little bit of a mindset shift um, overall? Do you have any tips in trying to break through to people in that world, or is it just hey, when the time is right, the time is right? Yeah, I think when the time is right, the time is right. However, if you want if you want someone to be more authentic with themselves, you have to be the one to be authentic first. Yeah. So you can't expect that someone's going to open up to you that you're not going to open up to. So right. it's sometimes it's it's pretty evasive, right? It feels it feels like pressure when when you try to ask someone about their life, maybe their problems, maybe their woes or their marriage or parenting or anything, right? And unless you're willing to go first, when you're willing to go first, you then give the other man permission to be imperfect as well and to be more relatable. Like that's that's one thing I've noticed over and over again. Like um, I remember, and this is a perfect example. 
I remember my very first speaking event that I ever did. I think it was in 2013. And I was like, it was for 150 men. And I, I was so overwhelmed with anxiety about it. I was mm-hmm. like, holy crap, like I've got to be like this perfect model father in order to right. do this speaking event. So I'm supposed to be teaching it. And what I found was, is that speaking event, it flopped. Like, I remember like looking at the audience of the guys and they were just like looking Ooh. at their watches, like, when is this going to be over? Like this right. sucks. Right. And, and rightfully so, because like, that's, that was the persona like eight years ago that I thought I had to have in order to do this work. Okay. And what I found was, is that the more real you are and the more you address like some of the things you're not good at and some of the things that are broken and some of the things that are just a freaking mess. Right. Um, I think when you talk about those things, what you do is you give the person you're talking to or the people in the room permission to be like, yeah, this is like normal crap. Okay. Like, so if you're getting this, if you see this, if you're feeling this, we're all in the same camp. Like no one's preaching from the pulpit, you know? Now I will, I will say this. I think it's also, I think it's fantastic to, to share what it is that might be a pitfall for either a man or for yourself or anything like that, but also to offer like maybe a potential solution, Mm. right? Not just talk about the problems and the woes, but like, Hey, you know, when it comes to, you know, managing our finances, here's an, here's an example. I used to be terrible at that. I still am terrible at it. It's because I have like this emotional tie to money and I hate seeing it go out. You know, I grew up with hardly anything. And the one thing that my wife and I did is we found that our strength was she did the bills and the cash flow and I did the investing. Right. And that's one of the cool things. Like, so if anyone were to ask me about money management and cash flow, I'd be like, yeah, I suck at that. Like I, I am, that's not my strength. That's, yeah. but I will what, what I, what we coach men with is like, do the, when it comes to any type of dimension in your life, whether it's money management, whether it's your health, your marriage, parenting, leading in the workplace, <laughs> find the things that bring you joy, find the things that make you come alive, right? That, that's your sweet spot. That's your zone of genius. And then complimentary, like, you know, get the other people around you. It could be your kids. It could be your wife. It could be people you work with get them to find their zone of genius so they can come alive as well. So that, that's what, that's an example of like, yep. Hey, I suck at money management, but here's what we found to do the solution. Right. So you're a spender or a saver then? I'm a saver. Yeah. And that's, and you said that's yeah. a problem. I mean, it can be because like, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I save, um, I, I save very, very aggressively. I mean, my car, I paid, I paid $13,000 for my car. Mm-hmm. We don't value cars. My wife's car is a, you know, 2018 minivan. No, no one's buying new cars around here. Um, when it comes to like, I don't need name brand clothes. Like I, I was looking at my wardrobe. I was looking at old pictures from like 2014. I was like, Oh my God, I still wear the same, this shirt that I'm wearing right now. I think it's like five years old. Like yeah. that's sad. Graham is your choir. Yeah. He's, yeah. Hey, yeah. Very, very contrasting. You're not going to hear any counterpoints from uh, me here. It's uh, for sure. It's, Hey, you should see my underwear. There's still holes in it. And, uh, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> that's but the only reason why they get thrown out is because of my wife. That's yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, man. Going back for like a minute, like the second blog I ever wrote. Not to make you feel bad, because I still have holes in my I, holes in my underwear. I won't go get them because we don't want to gross out your audience. But the second blog that I ever wrote was throw away your underwear with holes in it. Okay. And it, was, it was a reason why. And yet you but did yeah. not take your own advice. I didn't take my can't own advice. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm so comfortable. <laughs> yeah, they've been broken in. I just put on a new pair and they're restrictive. I can't handle right. it. I don't know. Yeah. These are, 
these old ones are vented. Like there's airflow, right? Yeah. They're custom built to my personality. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask, you know, you're, you're very specific with the language that you use. I, yeah. I have noticed like one of the things you said earlier was authenticity and being authentic. And yeah. I noticed uh, from a, an episode you had uh, in your podcast that you use that word to replace vulnerability. I do. And and in the language that you're using, tell me a little bit about why you chose that language. I have an idea as to why, but I'd love to hear your reasoning for it. Well, so great question. Um, words, words have power, mm-hmm. right? And they have meaning. Uh, I, I got a coaching certification uh, last October in what's called exchange. And it's, all, it's based on appreciative in, inquiry. I won't go into the rhyme and reason what appreciative inquiry is, but when you're coaching people or you're facilitating or whatever, it's, it's discovering the best of once was, the best that is today, and the best that could be. Okay. And it doesn't really focus on problems. A lot of people be like, I have a, a communication problem with your marriage. No, you actually probably were very effective at one point with your communication. <laughs> we just need to get you back there and re- right. redefine those skills and actually elevate it to the next level in the future. So anyway, we learned in that certification that words have power, words have meaning. So I don't, I hardly ever use the word diet, right? I use right. the word, um, I eat high octane fuel for my body so I can be more productive, mm. right? Okay. Uh, the other thing too is you won't ever hear me use the word budget. <laughs> Right. I'm actually in charge of our quote unquote budget, but I, I use it as a, a financial tracker, right? Because mm-hmm. budget feels restrictive. Diet mm-hmm. feels restrictive. Vulnerability to me feels, and I don't mean to like downplay any of the people that love that word, but to me, it's like vulnerability is almost, you're so exposed mm-hmm. that someone could easily hurt you. Mm. You know, it has like that energy around it. Now, authenticity is a more empowering word to me anyway. It, be, it means I am who I am, all the great things and all the bad things. And here I am. And people can say what they want around me, but I, I know who my true self is. I'm not vulnerable to any type of attacks that people want to have on me if they don't like me or this or that. I'm authentic, not necessarily vulnerable. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. We, and we've chatted about it a little bit in our uh, episodes, you know, in terms of using metaphors and those sorts of things as, as uh, nicknames, as an example for our daughters, you know, why we call them certain things and, and not others um, because of the power of that language, right? Yeah. Not using princess because of what it represents, but instead of, of using, you know, as an example, uh, my oldest daughter, I call her Nevi Bear. Right, because it represents strength and independence and, and comfort, all that sort of thing. And so uh, I, I completely agree with you in, in the power of language. Yeah, we debriefed, uh, we talked about a book called The Power of Praise as well. And just, to, I'm not sure whether you've read that book at all. Um, I have. No. But uh, you have not? No, I haven't. Yeah, so it, it, like, it's fantastic. And the yeah. fact that just the, the data behind it, I, I'm more of a data type nerd. I like to see things backed up, et cetera. But just the difference between rather than saying, oh, you're so smart, for example, um, that's sort of a, it's a results-based uh, fact. Right. And, and it's actually quite detrimental, right? Yeah. And, and whereas saying, I really like how much effort you put into it. Your, your, your hard work is really shown um, shown through here or some other type of your dedication. I, I really like how you have come back to it or your, 
whatever words you want to to show um, about how people maybe got knocked down and come back up, or your all the words and and how much effect it has had on children's overall uh, results just in in sample sizes. It's incredible the power of words. So it really is. And just real quick side note on that. Um, I, so yeah, we I haven't read that book, but I'm a huge fan of. I think it's Angela Duckworth who wrote growth. You know, it's the growth mindset. Growth I mindset. Think that's, yeah. yeah. Yep. So um, we're the same way, you know, it used to be, uh, and I got a quick story about that for those of you guys who are praising your kids in the wrong way. Right. And, and I did that. I made that awful mistake. 2015, I had my, my second born son was seven and he was in wrestling and he just, I genetic, like genetically, like growing up, like athlete, athleticism, I sucked at athletics. Like I was terrible. Yeah. You look like it. And, well, I mean, I, I didn't get, I didn't start losing weight and getting sick about 17, 18, but like up until then I was like this fat, clumsy kid with two left feet and my second born son, he's always been like super athletic, really strong. And his first, you know, year in wrestling at seven years old, he was almost undefeated and second in state. And I was like, holy crap. Wow. And then I kept saying the way I praised him, I was like, dude, you are so good, man. You're the best. You are so good. You know, good for you. You won everything always the praise was always in the success the second year he did the same thing cleaned house man just i think he got fifth in state the third year they put him up in this new category Mm -hmm. and with these little seasoned like eight nine-year-old wrestlers who never take like a day off and they're like on the national level and these kids look like little men and he just got slaughtered like every weekend and finally about five weeks in he was like yeah i'm done with wrestling and i'm like I'm like, wait, what? Couldn't what get the accomplishment praise. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. what, do, what do you mean you're done? Like, you're good at it, you know? And it wasn't until I actually did a podcast with a former Navy SEAL by the name of Larry Yatch, who's a big fan of mm-hmm. growth mindset, fixed mindset. And I told him this story and he called me out on the show. He's wow. like, you realize what you did to your kid? And I'm like, no, what I do? He's like, you praised him. Like, literally, he the moment he started losing was the moment that he identified himself as no longer good. Right. Of course he didn't want to do it anymore. He's like, and here's the, here's the flip side. My oldest son who wasn't that athletic lost for those two years, lost like almost every weekend, Mm -hmm. but his attitude. So I always had to compliment him on his effort. Okay. And I could never figure out for life. Me, I was like, how is this kid keeping coming back every single weekend and getting crushed? And somehow he just keeps coming back. I don't understand. I would have given up. And now to this day, he's 15. And that was, you know, that was six years ago. Mm -hmm he is relentless. He doesn't give up on anything. Like it's scary. And so like going back to that, I was like, man, I praised him for his effort. And like specifically, I was like, man, you got faster. Like you worked really, really hard. Like all these things that are very specific to his effort versus like the result. And what I realized was praising my second born that way kind of ruined him. Like for like his own level, like, well, I guess if I'm not winning, then I, then I suck. I'm no longer yeah. good. If I don't get, if I'm not getting the grades, then I'm not smart. Right. Have so, you managed yeah. to change that at all? Um, oh God, just yeah. acknowledging that and, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my kids home bring, bring home good grades. I, I will, you will never hear me say, Oh man, that's awesome. You are so smart. Never yeah. be like, yeah, man, well done. I saw how hard you studied. Yeah. Like, yeah, man, well done. I saw how, how much, how much work you put into that project. Job yeah. well done. Good for you. And so is your seven-year-old back into, he's not seven now, but yeah. uh, is he back in wrestling at all? Or is that was done and, and uh, uh, on to something else? 
Yeah, he has found his love in football. He's been okay. this is his fifth year playing football, and that is like his gig. So I asked him the other day, I was like, I was like, You want to go back to wrestling? Just you know, just to stay in shape for football? He's like, Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, of course, it sounds like over the course of time that you've done this podcast, the amount of things that you've learned just from interviewing people has been off the charts. What are the things that you still need to work on uh, yourself? Or, or are you a, the, the perfect individual at this point in time? <laughs> oh, man. So is this show an hour long? Because we have <laughs> like, there's, there's, there's a list. Like I'm going to have to break out my iPhone notes. <laughs> yeah, man. I, uh, so I've got a course on creating more patience, right? Being mm -hmm. a more patient father. Uh, it's a six module course. It's like 37 minutes long. And basically what it is, I took 500 podcasts, everything we've, we've learned from like mindset and patience and emotional capacity and resilience and all these things. Um, and I contained it all into one course. And what I can tell you is patience is a skill. It is an absolute right. skill. It starts from the moment your feet hit the ground when you get out of bed and every minute in between of, of what you do and how you respond. There are tricks, there are hacks that when you are triggered or you know, something is, is just fighting you, whether it be your kids or your work or your spouse or your marriage, whatever. There are things that you can do like literally in that moment to where you can, you can control your response and not react. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I can tell you is that the, the week that I launched that course, which was about six months ago, uh, I was blown up every night. I was like, right. what? what in God's name's happening? <laughs> I'm such an imposter, right. you know? And Right. But, wow. but taking that course, the, the very end module is what's called an after action review. So when you have done all these things and you know what needs to line up in order for you to have more patience, the after action review will allow you, okay, well, like, well, where did I, what, where did I go wrong? What did I miss? Oh, I didn't do my morning routine. That was it. Oh, I was triggered right there, but I didn't do that. Um, so patience for me has always been uh, tough, uh, yeah. uh, even though I wrote the course on it. Uh, patience is one. Number two, um, I, believe it or not, I, I'm an introvert. Is, is I do this show, I do speaking, but I'm an introvert. I need my recharge time. And when I'm doing this work, obviously, like many, many people need something from you every minute of every day. And it literally feels like between social media and emails and everything else, it feels like you walk into a crowded room and someone's tapping you, someone different's tapping you on the back every nine seconds. Right. So like there are times where I come home or come home, I walk out of my office and tend <laughs> into my you know living room. Long commute, and, yep. Yeah, long commute. And my kids will want, like I have four of them. And my, my wife and I, my, we were joking. We're like, how many times do you think we hear the word mom and dad in from 5 p.m. to yes. 10? Yeah. And it's a lot. Um, <laughs> if there is a moment of silence in my house, and I'm talking like 30 seconds of silence, someone will feel the need to talk. And they're all under the age of 40. Yeah. So, you know, people need something from me, my kids or the community or something like that. I feel like every minute of every day. And sometimes the thing that I need to work on most of all is like, I need to have more capacity. I need to have more resilience. I almost have to have an automatic answer. Dad, you want to come out and play football with me? And instead of being like, Oh, I just, just like literally want to sit down for like three minutes, right. like three minutes. And, but instead I'll be like, yes, let's go play football. So you, you've right. built muscle memory for those types of questions. Sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I'm terrible at it. And the, another really big one that I need to work on is I, at, I wake up at 4am every day and by 8pm, I feel like a truck has run over me. Right. Like that's when I start to completely just wind down. 
by 9 p.m., like I am just terrible. I always tell my kids, I'm like, anything that happens after 8.30, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't mean it. It's a bad apology here. Let's just set these credits. Right. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say anything bad, like there's not a blow up, but I'm just, it's hard for me to, to be all in, you know, right. because my two younger ones, they want to be tucked in. That's like a 30 to 40 minute thing. Yeah. Then my two older ones, they want to talk about their day. Right. And sometimes, man, dad just wants to like go lay down and yeah. hang out. Um, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. It, but I'm not so good at that sometimes. Um, and uh, I mean, those, those are probably, those are probably my biggest is patience yeah. and being able to take on all the demands that my kid and do it, do it in a way that my kids will be like, man, my dad was always like welcoming because sometimes I'm just not. So you, you have this course for, for teaching patients and then you also have a course for uh, marriage. It's coming out. It's, yeah, com- it's coming out shortly. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, in terms of, you know, being up at six and then, and then kind of done by eight, you know, how do you, yeah, how do you balance, how do you balance uh, the, you know, parenting and, and podcast and marriage and all that kind of stuff? I know you've got some great points in your, in your course that I've heard you talk about um, for, for doing that on, on a, your podcast, but uh, how do you make it all work? So great, great question. Uh, I mean, that's one of the biggest things is, is work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about how words have meaning. I, I struggle with it so much. Yeah. So I'm, I'm right. listening intently here. Yeah. So work-life balance, anyone who tries to, t- tries to sell you a bag of goods on getting more work-life balance, just tell them to take a hike. It does mm-hmm. not exist. You know, yeah. if you, it just doesn't exist. Shit. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> What you can have is work-life integration. Um, So let me explain a few things. And then if I forget, because that's another thing that I'm really bad at too. I have a lot of things going on my head. Remind me at the end of this, I'll talk about the words more and better. Okay. But what I can tell you is um, in order for me to show up for my wife, in order for me to show up for my business, in order to show up on podcasts, um, have more patience with my kids, even though sometimes I'm not so good at it, um, my day starts at 4.05 a.m. I don't know why the 4.05, like 4 a.m. seems way too early and 4.07 seems late. Yep. So <laughs> Perfect balance. Four, yep. Makes right. sense. So 4.05. Um, and I am one selfish dude from 4.05 to 6.30. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, I do not open my email. I, I do open my Facebook messenger because we have what's called a data edge alliance. That's our mastermind mm-hmm. community. We have a Facebook um I mean, we have all kinds of resources there, but we have one messenger group that's called DEA, stands for Dad Edge Alliance, Men of God. And what I do is I start, part of my regimen is who can I pray for today? Because that just puts me in a state of gratitude and it also allows me to serve. And that is my one service. Like that is, I don't get on social media. I don't answer text messages. I don't get on email, nothing. That's my one thing. So when I hit the gym, I ask all, all the guys in there, I think there's 80 of us, Hey, who needs prayer this morning? How might I pray for you? Hmm. And I'll get some, and I always tell them if I put a heart next to it, that means I literally said it out loud in this gym. So they know that. Uh, That's the only thing I do social communication wise. I do have a workout partner and he is a like-minded individual, very growth-minded type A. He owns a business as well. And he is like incredibly foundational for me and I am for him. So 
you know, getting around other like-minded people because like he and I, we put on our AirPods, man, and we hit it. Right. Yeah. And then we do talk here and there. And when things come up that ail us, you know, things have challenged us, whether it be our kids or marriage or anything else, we are there to talk. And the cool thing is, is about, you know, vetting some of those things out that are ailing you first thing in the morning while you're, while you're throwing around weights, that feels pretty damn good. Mm. And you talk about building patience and capacity. I feel like I have literally like, think of a wet, washcloth that is just full of water and i feel like the in the first thing in the morning i i ring that thing out man i'm mm -hmm. lighter i'm less stressed i'm i'm ready to go okay and then i'm home by 6 45 i take my two oldest boys to school we have this uh routine every single morning that when we sit in the school line waiting to drop them off i do morning gratitude with them 60 seconds morning gratitude and that is something that is so protected um, from seven to eight, I'm hanging out with my, my littles, the seven and the five-year-old until they go off to school and then seven 30 hit the shower. And then usually on my first call or whatever I have to do by 8am. Mm -hmm. Now, what I can tell you is everything that I do in that day is scheduled. So like, I don't allow emails to break apart my day. I have a certain chunk of time where I do emails. I have a certain chunk of time where I respond to text messages. I have a certain amount of time where I'm on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I'll even be very specific. Like last night, we, um, I told my, my boys, I was like, Hey, let's go outside and play flag football. And they're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So we literally from seven twenty-five. I know this sounds super anal, but for, I'm sorry, from seven to seven forty-five, we played flag football. And then from eight to nine, I played game of life with my 13 year old. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that seeing it in my calendar, that though that is what I'm going to do, that makes me excited, man. It makes me look forward to the day and it makes my kids have something to look forward to as well. So the answer to your question is that's work life integration with kids. Yeah. Now when it comes to to marriage, um, one of the biggest things is um is making sure that we have date nights. Right. And making sure that we have what I would call um epic conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, between she and I. So, uh, we, we try to, unless it's kind of logistical, we try to stay away from, uh, questions like how was your day? Um, how'd you sleep? We try to get more in depth. Like, tell me about the best part of your day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, tell me what was the most challenging part of your day. Right. Uh, right. you know, if you and I were sitting on our deck 20 years from now, celebrating the amazing life that we created and we had a smile on our face and our favorite drink, what would you share with me that that was an amazing memory? Um, that we haven't done yet. Things like that. Right. Yeah. Do you, when you're on a date night, do you have certain topics that are off the table? Like, uh, so for my wife and I, we don't talk about the kids when we're on our date night. It's, it's a time for the two of us to reconnect from a time before we had kids. Yeah. So we, my wife and I, we have what's called more the 10 minute rule. Okay where we'll talk about kids for the first 10 minutes. Sure. Um, right. some, sometimes they are more of a subject of the date just depending on um, what's going on in their lives. I mean, having two teenagers now, mm -hmm. um, sometimes there's more like intentional talking about like, okay, how do we go about this one? Right. Yeah. But the cool thing about that is, is that that is, we use that as connection as well, because like both of it might be something that's ailing us. Maybe it's one of my kids who's sneaking his iPhone. He's being dishonest. He's mm -hmm. maybe he's got a new girlfriend, you know, and we need to be like, okay, like 
we need to make sure we're on the same page about this one and right. that type of thing. So yeah, sometimes our date nights do revolve around kids more than we want, but we really try to make it about us. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier, you know, you went back to your, like your second blog post and, and I, you know, you have a, you have a, a history that you've talked about a lot of times as to why you started the podcast and, you know, with regards to your dad not being around and then having a stepfather who, who drank a little bit, that sort of thing. I'm wondering what character traits did you carry forward that you have that are positive from the parent, like from the growing up experience you had? And what are some of the character traits that you look for in your kids that are like either red flags or are super important to you that you're, that you're embracing and driving into them? Go back to your one of your podcasts you had. What do you blame your dad for? Yeah, what do you blame your dad for? Yeah, um, you, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, my my childhood was was really crazy, chaotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't say that to sound victimy. I mean, it was what it was. Yeah. Um, but I would say um, some of the good things that came out of that was there was a lot of good lessons growing up. Um, some were good and some weren't. And what I can tell you is that the lessons that were really, really good were some of them were what not to do, right? Like yeah. I, don't get, I don't get hammered out of my mind and smack my kids around, right? Because I know how that feels like. Um, it doesn't really work very well either. It doesn't, you know, especially when you have a 13-year-old who's stronger than you now. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that was one. But I, I will tell you um, – I did learn some amazing lessons from my grandfather, mm-hmm. my, grandpa, my mother's father. Uh, he was married to my grandmother for 50 plus years. He was so affectionate with that woman. Uh, always told her she was beautiful. I mean, he was 73 when he died and he was always telling her how much he loved her, how beautiful mm-hmm. she was. I mean, you could feel the love in the room when they were together. And I was like, that's what I want. Yeah. Right? And, my, and my grandfather, he was a rough, tough, blue collar truck driver, you know, fisherman, but he was so affectionate. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would not hesitate to hug you, kiss you, you know, tell you he loved you, that kind of thing. So those, those are things that I've really have emulated from growing up, but I didn't get that from him. I will say um, there are, you know, my family, I guess, uh, mental health wise, you know, we, we definitely have some, some demons in our family. I would say there's, there's definitely a, a good spread of bipolar disorder in my family, mm. um, mental health, anxiety, depression, that kind of thing. I have my own demons. I, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt doing this work has been the best medication on the planet because like yeah. when you have, and I can honestly say I, I've gone through bouts of being down and blue and have had bouts of anxiety but being able to do this work and learn and just being a lifelong learner and knowing I don't have to take on life by myself. um, That's awesome. And to answer your question about the red flags, you know, what I've noticed is my 13 year old. So he, he struggles with anxiety and you would never know it. I mean, he is a built athletic, good grades, girls love him. But man, he, he wrestles with some anxiety demons. And I think a lot of it, and I won't get into it, but there was a, there was a period of about five years or every year, something kind of big happened mm. in his life. You know, we, we moved uh, and within five years, we moved tw- three times. Uh, he switched schools three times. Right. We had this crazy miscarriage back in 2014 um, where my wife, lo- we, we lost our son at 22 weeks. Oh, I'm so that sorry, one, man. oh, that's okay. That one, 
just sent him whirling. Like, and I think that was even at the time he was only seven, but that one, like, oh my God, like someone, someone in my family could die. Right. And like, sometimes when I ask him, like, dude, like, what, what do you think about? Like, what, what anxieties come to mind? Like, you know, when you're laying in bed, he's like, that you guys are going to die or that I'm going to die. And it's like all these things that I'm like, I think we'll, we'll be okay. You know, I can't guarantee anything, but so those are red flags that making sure, you know, like they're doing things um, to help mental health. So like my 13 year old is wired just like me. If he doesn't exercise, he doesn't feel right. So like keeping, like I watch out for like, you know, when he starts to act out, I, I know he wants to go to football practice or he wants to hit the gym or he wants to go for a run with me. Right. So right. things like that, I watch out for. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, he's both, both you and uh, I and Warren is, there's a lot of similarities that we all face there. Certainly personality wise on the frugalness and introverted side, I, I would share that. And then, mental health side uh, certainly Warren can speak to that a lot more yeah as we were chatting about before we got started there with my you know eight-year-old daughter being suicidal last year and suffering from depression and then you know I'll apologize to everybody for my coughing now you know I'm chasing my daughter down the street as she tries to run away from home 15 minutes before we do this interview uh you know it's uh there's a little it's challenging dealing with that and and it's probably one of the most painful things you experience as a parent is watching your kid go through that type of pain, right? The pain of anxiety and depression and, and all of that. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, as a parent, you know, dealing with a child with anxiety, that sort of thing, what were some of the key lessons that you learned as a dad for being able to assist them with that? Obviously exercise was a big one for you, but from just the the mental and support emotional support side what was it that that stood out for you in helping a kid along with mental health issues you know well first i'll answer that but first of all man um i just want to acknowledge and appreciate what you just said because what you just said right there that hits that point home of like man we don't have to be perfect like find Mm -hmm. good busy all these things we say like the fact that you share that like that hit me in my heart and I'm sure it hit all of your listeners in the heart. Like, man, like, wow, like that, that's, that's a tough one on a father. Mm -hmm. And like every guy who listens to what you just said, we feel that like, that's what I'm talking about. Like no guy relates to the guy up here. Yeah. We relate to each other here. And like, and that's what I'm talking about is like when we can share some of our imperfections and just the way you did it, it was like very nonchalant. Like, yeah, man, like this is what I did. Like I chased her down the street 15 minutes and you know, every guy can relate to that. Yeah. And you know, that's what I'm talking about being authentic because you know, that's showing like your true self, all, all the good, all the things that are ailing you. And those are the things that we as humans, we relate to. Right. Yeah. And you did it in such a way that it wasn't like, it didn't feel like, you know, it was, it just felt like, Hey, this is where my life is at right now. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's just another week for me at this point. So yeah, right. right? Yeah. frog in a hot water. Yeah. Still yeah. That's, that's exactly right. right. Exactly right. But no, so, um, when, when it comes to raising kids with like any type three out of four of my boys have special needs. Mm-hmm. So my, my oldest, um, he's had an IEP individual education yeah. program ever since he was in kindergarten diagnosed with ADHD. Um, he was on, uh, drugs for ADHD for a while. And, and I'll get to that. My 13 year old dealt with anxiety to the point where he was on 
prescription medication for anxiety. And then my seven-year-old, he was just diagnosed with Tourette's. So he's got tics. So he does this like uncontrollable thing with his hands like Mm. this. Um, So, you know, what I can tell you is what I've learned is don't be afraid to question your healthcare provider's line of treatment because you know your kid better than anybody, right? So I'll give you an example. My my 13-year-old, my 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 15 year old now, you know, the doctor's like, Oh, he's got ADHD. He needs to be on this medication. And we, we did that. And then he had a trouble, he had trouble sleeping. He had no appetite. He wasn't eating. He was underweight. And I was like, what if we took him off this medication and put him on like supplements, like, you know, like, like ginseng and and L tyrosine and all these other things that are good for overall brain health, right. Versus like medicating him. Cause we also saw like some other side effects that we didn't like. And we're like, yeah, give it a shot. And we did. And that was six years ago. And he's been off it ever since. He makes great grades. Wow. Does just fine. My 13-year-old, at the time he was 11, he was seeing a counselor because he was going through some, some, he was saying some things that scared us. And so he started seeing a counselor and (laughs) he was there for about a year. And we knew him better than, than the counselor did. And he was just like, yeah, if he was my kid, I'd put him on this drug. And we're like, we don't want to drug him. And they're like, yeah, but you know, it's clinically proven. It's the one drug that's been around for the longest time. Like he's like, if it was my kid and we fought that for like six months and then we went ahead and did it. And what I can tell you is the psychiatrist we went to, it just didn't feel right. You know, he'd spend right. like 10, 15 minutes with us. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. It's not really work. Okay. We'll up the dose. We'll up the dose. We'll up the dose. And what we found was is the higher that dose went, the worse he got. Mm-hmm. Okay, and okay. I was like, this is not right. Like in my gut, I'm his dad. I know I'm like, this isn't right. And I had Dr. Daniel Amen on, on the podcast. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He wrote the book, uh, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. He's also written okay. several other books, but he owns these clinics. He's like America's psychiatrist. He owns these clinics around the US. I think there's five of them. And what he does is no matter what your mental health thing is, whether it's depression, anxiety, ADHD, bipolar, whatever, he treats mental health very differently than going to your doctor and be like, here are my symptoms. Oh, those are your symptoms here. Try this for eight weeks. Let me know how it goes. So what he does is he does an entire full day workup. It's like a concierge clinic, entire full day workup. And then they do a brain scan <laughs> and they can tell what parts of your brain are lighting up and what they're not. And his I'm doing that right now. Are you really? Yeah. yeah. That's why we chuckled and yeah. looked, I looked at him. Yeah, there's, oh, a, there's a place here in Vancouver. <laughs> I'm going through that. And so my oldest daughter, ADHD, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia. My middle one, you know, depression, anxiety. My youngest one is starting to develop um, like hoarding sort of OCD. And, and so I'm getting all this brain stuff done because I'm very ADHD intensity type personality. And so they've got me hooked up to all these things and they're doing brain training right now to try to get me out of constant fight or flight mode. Yeah. Right? Because it's... I, I'm I'm intense with my kids, just like I am with my business and everything else, and it's not good for them because I can't I can't determine when something requires that level of intensity or not. And so they're doing the auditory, you know, cue training to increase certain uh, brainwave levels. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's helped me so much. Yeah. Sorry. So continue that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, just no, no, that, share. It's that's, interesting. I wish, I love that story, man, seriously, because I wish more people would invest in something like that versus like, just take this pill and you're good. Yeah. Um, but what we found was, is so first of all, I talked to Dr. Amen 
And it was after the podcast and he was just like, well, first of all, he's like, I would never have an 11 year old on 150 milligrams of Zoloft. I would just never do that. He's yeah, like, why don't yeah. you bring him up to Chicago? He's like, we'll take a look at him. Um, you know, he's like, he'll love it. And he did. He loved it. Like they don't treat you like some crazy person. Like they mm-hmm. treat you like old there. Right. So they sat down they're like, okay, you don't have depression. You have anxiety. Which, by the way, if you're on this drug, it's going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. So you, what the drug that you're taking is actually doing you more harm. Right. So we, we did a 10-week wean off of that drug, and we put him on a supplement called Neuralink. And he is unbelievable now. Like, he's been a year and a half, and he is, like, on fire again. And he has been for a while. Like, that drug was weighing – but to answer your question, you know your kid yeah. better yeah. than anybody, Right. And the experts will tell you, like, this is what you do. This is what you need. But I think you always have to insert, Mm -hmm. like, you can't take that advice for gold. You have to be like, okay, but is this the right move, right? Versus, like, just being like, yes, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, it's like being your own scientist, as it were, right? You you want to constantly, I know my wife, um, she has something called Crohn's disease, which is a digestive uh, issue. And... I mean, all of us can probably speak to, oh yeah, we've, there are moments where you're like, no, I just, I know there's something different here. I need to, and, and often you need to push, you need to be an advocate for yourself to say, no, this is, I, I understand what you're telling me that everything seems to be fine doc or whatever, but no, like we need to do something more here because I know myself and there's something that's different or yeah, I know my I kids and there's something that's just not right here and having right. that, um, ability or that sort of mental fortitude to just keep pushing a little bit more and challenging and challenging. Um, I know my, my wife's grandmother uh, would just anything that uh, an expert or whatever would preach that was gospel. That was that, that's yeah. the way it was. She had this like fl- goldish pink car, um, mostly pink. And she would just, ding the heck out of it because she couldn't drive very well she was getting on in time right she would scratch the heck out of anything so she had this touch-up paint and the side of the car was just littered with these gold markings everywhere not anywhere close to the color of her car we're like nana what's what's up with this well this is the paint they gave me at the touch-up shop that's the paint that i use you're like well you can see that it's clearly not right right but this is the world that we're trying to move out of is that you can't just accept what people are saying that's right that's right you got it sometimes you got to question things like that good for you for for can you do that and and seeing the results from it too yeah and and thank you for for sharing that and and advocating for it um i wanted to ask you a question with regards to you know how many the amount of people that you have spoken to dads about all these issues what is it when you're out and chatting with dads what are the things that you notice uh, that first gives away whether somebody is a good dad, a great dad, or just somebody who just doesn't get it. Oh, um, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I can, I'll answer. I, so I'll, let me, let me answer that just a bit of a different way. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just actually put this on my Instagram uh, this morning. I can't take credit for it because it was a, it was a meme that I saw, but I saw it and I was like, and that's it. Mm-hmm. right there. Uh, so I've been doing this work, been coaching men now for seven years. And what I can tell you is there are three types of dads out there. Three. There's the victim, 
Okay. The, the victim will tell you every reason why he can't do X. It's my job. It's as many hours as I work. I work 75 hours a week. I can't possibly have time to do blah, 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 whatever. Fill in the blank. Finances, health, marriage, kids, whatever. Um, it was my childhood. I, I just, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm broken because I, I, how can I possibly go be a good father? Because like I, I, I had this horrible upbringing. Yeah. Right. Um, it's all these reasons. And they, not only that, if you've ever re read the book, actually two books, um, Un-F Yourself by Gary John Bishop and Stop Doing That Shit, his second book, it's all about self-sabotage where people who are victims will actually not only tell you the story of why they can't get to the next level, they will actually actively go out and search for the proof of why they can't. So like they'll even attempt like maybe it's a health thing, right? Maybe it's like, hey, I want to lose 30 pounds. January 1st, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And three weeks into it, they binge, you know, and then they're like, oh yeah, I knew I couldn't see. I knew I couldn't do it. Look at that. And they'll actually, they'll literally subconsciously look for proof. So that's the victim. There are a lot of dads out there who unfortunately are in that camp. I was one of them. So I, I know exactly how that feels. Um, still go there from time to time. I just don't camp there for very long. <laughs> no. but, um, yeah, the campsite's not pretty there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the second type of father is the content zombie. This is the guy who consumes, you know, 20 hours of podcasts a week. He's got audiobooks on his phone 24 seven. He's YouTube and videos on how to do X, Y, and Z. You know, he's, it's, it's information, information, information. Yeah but there's one thing missing and that's action. They're not doing anything about it. They're just consuming content. Like I'll talk to guys be like, man, I listen to 15 hours of podcasts a, a week and they're proud of that. And I, you got to give men sort of a bad badge of honor for doing that because that, that emulates one thing. They're hungry. Mm -hmm. They're very, very hungry for something different, but they think the information alone is going to be the game changer. And that's not the case. In fact, you can overwhelm yourself. I would argue that you'll overwhelm yourself with too much information and then be like, Oh, what do I even do now? I, there's like, there's 20 different directions for me to go in. Which direction do I go in? And then the third person is the executioner. The executioner has probably lived in the victim camp. They've probably lived in the content zombie camp. And now they're like, okay, I'm fed up. I just need to, I need to go out and do something. And what they do is that they keep things very, very simple, very simple, very measurable and very executable. So they will pick one thing. So like, for instance, maybe it's, um, Maybe it's communication with their wife. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to measure. Is my marriage getting better or not? Because that can change by the hour of how you feel about it. But one thing you can do is you can take action on it. Be like, you know what? I'm going to ask my wife one different question per day. You know, like, so for instance, a question like that could be like, what are three things that I do that make you feel most loved by me? That's a very different question than how was your day? How'd you sleep? What's for dinner? Um, you could also ask questions like, you know, like I talked about earlier, which is if we were sitting on our porch 20 years from now talking about the beautiful life that we yeah. created, what memories would we be talking about that we haven't, that haven't happened yet? Things like that. That's what makes you become, and also being a better communicator means being a better listener, right? So like we, we teach our guys something called tactical empathy. Tactical empathy, active listening, mirrors, labels, all these things that allow you to not only make your woman feel seen, heard, and cherished, but also will make you a better listener because you're doing those things. You're actually implementing the skill. Same thing with, with, uh, with your health, right? There are men who will 
listen to endless podcasts on how to take better care of their physical, mental, emotional health. Um, they'll read books, but they don't have that block of time. But like, okay, from 4.05 a.m. to 6.30 a.m., that is health. Physical, mental, emotional health, that's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to measure it. So those are the th- I, I know I probably didn't answer your question of like the three types or how, how dads are doing a good job or not, but here's what I'll tell you. The dads that are doing a good job, they're showing up. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe that's 90% of it, but I also believe there's a big, massive 10% of it is how you're going to do it. Right. There, there are many men who are physically aren't there, right? So if you can be physically there, now you have to be mentally and emotionally there for your kids as well. And physically, physically meaning physical affection as well. So the man who I deem are good fathers are lifelong learners. They constantly want to learn different skills. They are curious. They're very curious about their kids and about their day. And like, what was the best part of your day? Teach me something that you learned today. Mm-hmm. Put your kid in the teacher in the, in the teacher seat. What was the most challenging part of your, of your day? How did you get through it? What are you most excited about tomorrow? Those three questions alone, being curious about your kids' answers will also instill a growth mindset yeah. in them because you're doing gratitude, you're doing challenges, and you're also doing what are you most excited about tomorrow? Um, so they're curious, they're hungry. Um, the other thing that I'll tell you is that they surround themselves with the right men. We're a big proponent of iron sharpens iron. You know, if you're hanging out with dudes who just want to escape their marriages for a Friday or Saturday night and drink a 12 pack and talk about BS, that's what's, that's what your life is going to be. Right. You know, and I'll, I'll just tell you that how it is. It, that is how your life is going to be. Now, if you get around other men who are like, you know, Hey Graham, like, how are things going with your marriage, man? Like you guys communicating, you guys having your date nights. How's the patience? How's the intimacy? Like, how is everything going for you guys? You know, because they truly care, right? Mm-hmm. How's everything in the workplace, man? How are your finances? Like, is everything going okay? Right. Like having men, not, not necessarily surrounding you, but in your life, man, that genuinely care about where you're at. And they, all they want to do is elevate you. And the mm-hmm. cool thing is, is you want to do the same. Yep. So yeah. And to answer your question on the flip side of how, what's a, what's a not so great father, it's the ones who are giving you every excuse of why they can't be yeah. right. It's that victim mentality. And then they don't do anything to ever better themselves. I, I kid you not. I would share my screen with you. We had a guy who left our mastermind. It was really weird. He was there for three months and then he just automatically left. And I was like, Hey man, what's going on? And he and I conversed over and over again, um, over text. And I kid you not, the text message that he sent me today, I'm like, hey man, did you, did you hear any of my feedback? He literally gave me seven bullet points about why he can't get his marriage to the next level. Oh, wow. Seven items, like one through seven and the freaking text message was this long. And I thought to myself, I was like, there is, this guy does not belong with what we're doing because he's not ready for it. Right. He, is, he is basically sticking a flag in the ground saying, look, look at me. Mm-hmm. this is why I can't be successful. Do you see it? Do you see it? That's what's going on. You're never, that guy's never going to change. Unfortunately, some pretty horrible things are going to hap- happen to that poor guy. Yeah. Number yeah. one, he's going to have a nervous breakdown. He's going to lose his marriage. Something awful is going to happen because all he's doing is gathering more and more proof about why he can't. Yeah. And that's yeah. unfortunate. It becomes self-fulfilling. It yeah. does. It comes very, it's very self-fulfilling, unfortunately. I had somebody... 
uh, probably a year and a half ago say to me, he said, uh, you know, be the man that your wife would leave you for. And uh, I came, I came home that night after having that com- that conversation with him and things were rocky between my wife and I, I came home and I turned to her and I said, if we met today, would you marry me? She said, no. Wow. And that was, that was the start of her and I rebuilding our relationship. Now it hasn't been perfect since then. It hasn't been a steady uphill slope. There's been a lot of dips and some pretty serious ones when you're dealing with kids with, with problems, that kind of stuff, it tends to take over. Sure. But it, it has been, uh, it's been a process of us trying to understand what each other needs to be the person that we would leave each other for. And you know, what's so cool about that is you did one thing that we talk about all the time is you got curious. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know how you received that particular feedback. Oh, it hurt like hell. Oh yeah. It hurt. Just like, but I, I don't know if you got defensive or not, but it took so much courage for you to step up and get curious and be like, here's the question. Cause the cool thing is, is once you have that information, now you have a decision of which road are you going to take? Yeah. Are you going to take action or are you going to be that victim or content zombie? Yeah, right. Yeah. And you obviously you are in camp number three, right? Yeah, it's still working on it, that. but I'm but you yeah. know. <laughs> but you're not divorced. Everyone no. everyone pitches their tent sometimes in the other camps. No, we've we've gotten a lot of help along the way too. I you know, good friends that, that you spend a lot of time talking about these subjects with and um, counseling and, and that sort of stuff. And and you know, maybe just to, to finish things out, because I, I know you got a busy day. Um, I wanted to, to ask you, you know, you've got your mastermind group, that sort of thing, which in, in and of itself is a type of counseling. Um, there's a lot of men that have, you know, bravado and, and, you know, a sense of confidence, that sort of thing. They don't feel comfortable going and asking for help, um, that sort of thing. What would your message to those men be? you know, in terms of accepting their flaws and being able to reach out to friends, colleagues, partners, um, that sort of thing, masterminds for that assistance? That's a great question. Um, so I had a Navy SEAL on, um, on the podcast several years ago by the name of Chris Sinog. Uh, he was the sniper instructor who taught uh, Chris Kyle how to shoot. Mm-hmm. And um he is like one of the baddest dudes on the planet, like as far as like being a sharpshooter and just lethal. Right. Right. And one of the coolest things he, he came on the point that he really hit. And this is like the first light bulb moment when it came to the power of asking for help. We start, we talked about several different topics and one was like, why do you think the seals are so successful? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, cause we asked for help. Mm-hmm. he's like if i don't ask for help and i need it from my team the whole team get just we, we get killed like if yeah. i don't ask my team like hey i'm pinned down or i'm doing this or i'm doing that guess what we all suffer or we we could all die right. he's yeah. like the reason the seals are so successful is because we are men that ask for help and i was like holy crap wow. like, this comes from like the baddest dudes on the planet and that is one of the things that they live by why can't the rest of us right right so what I'll tell you is that, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the hardest things I think for men to do is to look themselves in the mirror and be like, take responsibility for where you're at right today. And it's really 
here's what I'll tell you. The, the perception, I'm going to say that twice. The perception, if you're outside of something like what we do in the mastermind is like, not only is that hard for me to do standing in front of a mirror, but I certainly can't do that with a group of people. But do you know what happens when you share all, all the wins? We call them the peaks and valleys. When you share all your peaks and valleys, you get to your peaks. You're like, man, that's awesome. I'm like now, now tell us how you're doing that because we all want to learn. Mm-hmm. Now tell us your valleys. And man, what I can tell you is like the uglier, the better. And when men do that, yeah. we clap, you know, we applaud for those men because that's the awareness that it takes to say things out loud that you don't want to actually even hear yourself say, but then to be met with no judgment, no shame, no guilt. Instead, you're met with, brother, I get you. I see you. I struggle with the same crap. Yeah. And let me tell you, though, if this is what you struggle with, what I have found, what really works for me is this, this, and this. And it's been a yeah. game changer. And then you can share that with a guy who doesn't know that information. He's yeah. like, and then all of a sudden you see the light bulb go off for him. So yeah, is it, is it scary? Absolutely, it's scary. But the thing that I'll tell you is that the, the tough love is, um, how is that working out for you now, not doing that, right? Where's your life exactly. at right now? The one thing I'll find I'll say about, about this particular point is I, I really do let men off the hook because I've got a heart for men. You know, it might not be your fault where you're at. I know a lot of other gurus online will tell you it's your fault where you're at. You know, they'll even get in your face. They'll yell at you, right? Garrett White, and he's popular mm. with that. I don't know if I buy into that because I think some men – just haven't had the mentorship. They haven't had the guidance, right? Um, so they don't know what they don't know. Right. So I think for a lot of men, they're like, holy crap, like how did I get here? I don't even know, right? Mm-hmm. So it might not be their fault where they're at, but here's the tough love. It's your fault if you don't do something about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You stay in that number one camp, that victim camp where you're out there, like the text message I was telling you, and you're out there trying to gather as much information as possible, proof of why you can't get to where you want to go. Man, that is where you are going to stay, right? So take action, get in camp two and then three into that executioner phase because that is where the changes really happen, right? But don't have that perception, especially in a mastermind that, you know, we're a bunch of alpha males and we're all perfect because we call ourselves this all the time. And in Dad Edge Alliance and our mastermind, man, we are 600 imperfect moron knuckleheads. <laughs> but we're hungry. Yeah. We're very hungry to learn and we go out and we do something about it. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm jacked. Uh, that was a great, great point. And, and uh, I'm sure everyone listening as well is, is ready to, like after watching a good movie or something like that, a big action film or something like that, you get all excited and jacked, ready to run around, go kiss your wife. And yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. if you watch too much of The Sopranos and all of a sudden you think you're a mobster. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. I remember watching The Matrix. First time I watched The Matrix, that was maybe dating, whatever. Like I was, I biked with my friend and I never biked so fast home. Like I'd look back and I had no idea where my friend went. Like he was like five minutes behind me. He was so far back. I was just in the zone. I was absolutely jacked. And, and I feel the same way uh, after talking with you. So thank you so very much for your time. Uh, oh, thank you uh, guys. Very much appreciate it. Yeah, back at you. This was fun. I'm glad we got a chance to do it. Yeah, yeah. that's too. Thanks so much. Hey, okay. you bet. Okay.